living hope. Amen. Please be seated. Good to be in the house of the Lord this morning, giving glory to His holy name. Praise God. Yesterday and today, we were sitting under the teaching of God's word, and we are glad that our friend, Reverend Dr. Felix Shivandar, has been with us, and this morning he will minister from God's word. Shall we sit with an open heart, an open mind, so that God can speak into our lives and our lives be enriched by the power of God's word and the work of the Holy Spirit? Reverend Dr. Felix. Thank you, my brother. Good morning, everyone. To Boston with me. Amen. What a blessing it is. Cornerstone. I hope you realize just how blessed you are. Amen. Amen. Come on now. Um, I'm so blessed for this. Uh, the last few days have been have been wonderful and a long time coming. I hope and I pray from the deepest part of my heart that you were equally blessed, that the Lord spoke to you, that some things were put into alignment, and that the blessing goes beyond this weekend. Um. You know, serving the Lord has been an amazing journey. Many ups, many downs. Um, but the grace of God has just been so incredible. And I just want to say this, man. Um, when we have made that decision, you know, the song that we used to sing, I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. When we've made that decision that, Lord, I'm going, I'm going wherever you would lead me and I'm going all the way with you, the Lord has a way of showing us one of the most incredible adventures I think a human being can ever take on the planet is the adventure that comes from just serving God. Amen. Absolutely incredible. I thank the leadership of this house. Pastor Feeney, thank you. Um, you know, Stanley and, and Janice, I think they took care of me. I took me to dinner. I'm with Danny and Asha and family. Santosh and Mercy uh, filled me with confectionaries, and I think I got donuts in the car waiting for me when I get there. Every time I leave, I, you know, uh, Cornerstone, I have to go back and then do some marathon running to try and shed some of the weight. My little conversation with us today in the next 20-something minutes is a very, very familiar portion of Scripture. And I just decided to call this what I might call the big why. And essentially what I want to discuss with you is everything we talked about this weekend. Last night we were talking about a man's gift to make room for him. A man's gift to make room for him and bring him before great uh, people. That anything that we do for the kingdom of God, unless it comes from the right foundation, it cannot be as amazing as it could be. And so the big why beyond us, you know, coming to church, etc., the big why we did a leadership um, seminar yesterday or conversation yesterday. The reason why there's even a call to leadership must be founded on the right principles for you and I to experience something powerful. And I believe that the secret is actually, the secret is actually pretty simple. And when we go to the book of Matthew, chapter 22, I'll start there. And then I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians, chapter 13. And you already know where we're going with this. But in Matthew, chapter 22, hallelujah. Now, here's what it says uh, from verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, meaning the Sadducees were engaging in Jesus on doctrinal issues. They were talking theology, theology back and forth. So he started with the Sadducees that had one particular set of beliefs. 
And now when the Pharisees heard in verse 34 that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them who was a lawyer, and in this instant, it means that he's a student of the Torah. He's a legal scholar in the sense of the, the law of Moses. He knows his stuff. So he came in the question, testing him, saying, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And then Jesus said to him very, very quickly, I think Mark chapter 12 also makes mention from verse 28 thereabouts. But Jesus answered him and says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Then he says, this is the first and great commandment. And he said, the second is like it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Then he goes on to say something radical. He says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. I know you all know this. I mean, we've, I don't know how many times it's probably been preached off this pulpit. But there's a reason why a good portion of the end time generation has got to be constantly reminded of the things that matter to God. We know in the book of Matthew 24 and around verse 12 that Jesus, or beyond that, Jesus mentioned that because lawlessness shall increase, the love of many shall grow cold. People had asked him concerning the end of days, like, what shall it be like? What is the atmosphere? You know, for the end of times. He goes on to tell us world events that will take place. But then he lets us into the secret of the spirit of the age. He says because lawlessness, and lawlessness means people, anything that puts boundaries, anything that says, you know, don't do this or do that, people shall break down all those walls. And because lawlessness or uh, a lack of affinity toward anything that is order and principled, he says the love of many will grow cold. That means that the spirit that we contend with in the end of the age is the cooling of our love. And this is the spirit that pervades the globe in the end times. That means that if it does, it's not just affecting people that are out there. The Lord Jesus Christ was not preaching to people in the world. He was talking to his disciples. So the warning is that the spirit of the age is that the love of many will grow cold. That means what? The center of love in this instance, the Lord Jesus Christ mentioned that the most important, with all our theologians, I don't know how many commentaries I have, you know, um, at home and on my, on my computer. The libraries that are full of all the theological books that cover soteriology, which is the doctrine of salvation, eschatology, the doctrine of the end time, Christology, the doctrine of Christ, you know, theology, the doctrine of God, or the teaching of all those things can be distilled into a simple statement. And this simple statement is literally the very heart and the spirit of heaven. It says, what is the one great commandment that represents all? And then Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then he said, the corollary to this or the, the, the one that is, at, that is right alongside with this is that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And therein you've completed the entire writ of all the prophets, the writings of Daniel. I don't care who they are. I don't care how they wrote. I don't care what persecution they were under while they wrote. Their entire writings can be distilled into loving God and then loving your neighbor as yourself. Are we okay? Meaning, therefore, ah, I'll give another kind of weird portion of scripture, Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, and I'm going to go to verse 19. 
So before I start, and let me start from verse 17. Fools and blind, which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? Now, the Lord Jesus Christ was talking with the, concerning the Pharisees, and he's really going against the scribes and the Pharisees. From verse 15, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, meaning one convert, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, whoever swear, who say, um, who say that whoever swears by the temple... It is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold in the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? It's a very important concept, which I hope we can unpack real quick. And it says, whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. It says what? But whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? It appears to be a bit of a weird question. And, and, and really to fast track what it might mean in the next few moments is this. It appears that to God, it's not the action alone that matters. Meaning it's not the gift alone that matters. But it's the altar upon which that gift is laid. Because the altar sanctifies the gift. Because that is the way that God is constructed. It's not the action of ministry alone, the action of leadership alone. But the altar upon which that action is laid. What is the founding principle for anything that we're going to do for God? The Bible has let us know in Matthew chapter 22 that in God's economy, the greatest and all fulfillment of every word of God. What does the Lord Jesus Christ say? If you are my disciples, are those that what, hear my word and obey, right? That the greatest expression of all scripture is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And you shall love people. You have to learn. You and I have to learn to love people. We cannot fulfill the scripture. By just here's what typically happens. People can sing for hours, Pastor Fini. I've been in places where we, we, we can have service forever. And people w- will end up sometimes not caring about the person who's next to them in the same church. Singing, I love you, Lord. I lift my hands. You know, rolling on the floor, having a time in church. And sometimes have absolutely no expression of love or nurturing to the person that's right on the same pew as you. It appears that to God, the action means little. He observes the altar upon which it is laid. The gift means nothing. If gift meant something, Esau, what's his name? Um, um, Cain's gift would have been accepted. Cain thought, as long as I give him, hey, that's better than nothing. So he comes to the Lord and he lays a gift before the Lord. The Lord looks at it. Is that for me? Yes, I'm not taking that. Why? Because it's not the gift, it's the altar that is laid on. What was the altar? Cain had something within the region of his heart that made the Lord look at his gift and say, I don't want that. Are we okay? The thing you're going to battle in, if I can just talk, the thing you and I are going to battle in the end times is we're going to find ourselves sometimes being, becoming a little jaded with people, becoming a little hard-hearted and a little calloused. People that used to be compassionate, you're now very short with people. You used to be known to extend yourself toward people no matter what, but now one little wrong word and they set you off. Because the spirit of the age is to rob you of love. Because once the altar of love is removed, the action means little to God. You think preaching is amazing? I've seen God reach people without a preacher there. Do you know that a good pastor friend of mine once had this incredible service, Pastor Steve Boyce, 
He had gone to a revival meeting and something happened to him. He came back to his church the next Sunday. He says, Felix, I stood behind the, the altar to preach. I couldn't say anything. I just, but people kept saying, amen, pastor. Who, hallelujah. The Lord was dealing with the people himself. Our preaching gift means nothing to God. Our little things that we do, our obligations mean nothing to God if the altar of love is broken. It's not the gift. It's the altar that sanctifies the gift. It's not the ministry. It's the love that purifies the ministry. It appears that God wants you and I to be motivated by the one thing that the world cannot fake. You know, true love from God's economy is the most unbreakable force on earth. So now that's why you notice this very familiar portion of scripture. The Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 13. I know I'm saying stuff you already know. And some of you can probably preach this better than I can. But here's what Jesus Christ says in verse 31. He says, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will glorify him also. He says this, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. As I've said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, because I am leaving, because I'm stepping out, I am leaving this nugget with you. I am giving this truth, this abiding truth to you. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, the the laws and the prophets say to love your neighbor as yourself. The Lord Jesus Christ breaks that and brings in a whole new script. He says, no, the standard is now different. I'm giving you what he called a new commandment. And that he says that the quality of your love must be the quality of love that I have for you. You shall, you know, to love one another how? As I have loved you. And then he says this, by this shall all men know that you are my followers. Not that you're Christians. By this shall all men know that you are the followers of Christ or the disciples of Christ in that you have love for one another. What the Lord is saying is this, represent me well. The way you most represent me is going to be from the altar of your love. If love is the reason why you're doing the things that you're doing, I've seen people tap into an incredible anointing because love was there. If you want to ask me, how do I get a powerful anointing to persuade a generation? You know, I learned working with youth that at one time, some people were saying, don't speak too strong to them, you know, kind of come to their level and speak where they are. But here's what I found out. If love was the motive, and deep down in my heart, the love of God was living and alive and well, and I stood in front of young people, there were some times I told them in very direct terms, and it was received. It was received in a way that I, because love kind of does that. And then there's sometimes you preach because you're trying to deal with a pet peeve, something you don't like. And it's not well received. But the point is this. When it's coming off the altar of love, it is touched with the very essence of heaven. And the question I have is this. is how are we doing in the love department? When the Lord Jesus Christ spoke to the seven churches of Asia Minor, the first church he began with was not an inactive church in the book of Revelation chapter 2. It was actually very active in all intents and purposes, probably quite productive. Let's look at Revelation chapter 2 and see what it says. It says, and to the angel uh, of the church in Ephesus write these things. Says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works and your labor and your patience. And that you cannot bear with those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. And they found them liars. 
and you've persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. So that means that these individuals are extremely active. That means that they're doing in all intents and purposes what you and I could call ministry. Are we good? David himself. But he says, nevertheless, I have this against you. And he says that you have left your first love. And essentially what he's saying is this. I see a lot of activity, but the altar is broken. Because that activity used to be laid on the altar of the love of God. But right now, that, that is no longer the case. He says that you have, you, know, you have lost your first love. And how does the Lord rectify that? He says this. He says, remember therefore from where you've fallen and repent and do the first works or else I'll come to you and quickly remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now this is, is an active church being called to repentance because everything else seems to be done right but the altar that has been, it's been laid on was that the altar of love needed to be restored. The reason why I'm sharing this is this and I'm sharing this to the, to the body of Christ, Pastor Fini. It's not just here. I have seen individuals that some, some of them could are the most sacrificial people I know. But they had been damaged in their walk in the church and so hurt and so damaged that the love of people had kind of gone out the window. And everything they did was just out of obedience to God or to get a reward in heaven. But the love had already been tampered with. And, and, and so I can imagine giving yourself to a cause that heaven does not respect because you've lost the altar upon which that is given. Paul said this in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He gave us the whole script that if I do all these incredible anointed things but if I have not love it means nothing. So that means that the altar of love is the ultimate qualifier for the things that we do. So what does the enemy then do? The enemy is going to go and temper with the altar of love and I'm telling you this, if you don't think you're affected you probably are affected. If you think this doesn't apply to you, then it probably means that it has worked. The enemy has pulled it off. The end time, it is easy to walk in the absence of love. It's easy to be very religious and to not be loving at all. It's easy to look at people with the eyes that we look at people, not with the eyes that Christ looks at individuals. When I look at the eyes of Christ, which is the ultimate manifestation of love, the Lord found value in people you and I would never value. You see, when I saw Jesus Christ before Zacchaeus, I had an idea what the lesson there would be, which is what? Good. Now you call him out for what he did and show him that, era, don't do that again. But here's what the Lord Jesus Christ says. He goes to this young man, Zacchaeus rather, and says, I'm coming home with you. Yeah, he says, I heard that your, your wife cooks a mean curry. A mean curry. I'm coming home with you. And what? He sits down at their table. And what does he do? He eats with them. Where's the fire? Where's the brimstone? He didn't come. What was it? It was his love. And what happens now? No words exchanged. Zacchaeus begins to come under what? Under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And what does the Lord Jesus Christ do? Nothing. Just shows him dignity. Shows him respect. And the man is probably waiting to be called out. It doesn't happen. The whole meal. Now it's dessert. Or maybe a dessert, you know. He's warming up so he can really, nothing. Then all of a sudden, Zacchaeus, now this is the Lord Jesus Christ showing his disciples the key to influence that was going to change the world. That the way we're going to do things, we're going to come and disarm them with the quality of our love. 
They will look at us and think we think certain things about them. And then when we open our mouth, they will find out that there's nothing but love there. It will confuse them. In fact, parents and children, part of what, what sometimes people don't know, sometimes kids conclude that they're not loved by whatever reason. So they push your buttons to see if that is true. And they'll step outside of an order and then they'll see your response. And if your response is just hardlined with the absence of love, then they are convinced, I knew it. I knew you didn't like me. The teachers, anybody who's ever taught in, in the school system, kids always test you. You know, a kid will test you to say, you probably doesn't like me. And, and so what do they do? They will push the boundary a little bit to get a confirmation. So here's what the Lord is saying. Disarm them. How? Don't fall for that. What? Yield the greatest weapon that Christ ever yielded. Which was what? The quality of his love. It is, a, it is part of heaven that the world cannot get, the world cannot understand. The Pharisees were bothered by Jesus because of the people he spent time with. They were bothered by that. Why don't you come and hang out with us in church? No, I'm not. Why? He was right there with the people that you and I would despise. Loving them. And that love was breaking people from the world of sin and bringing them into the faith. That's why he warned the scribes and the Pharisees that you're going to find people in heaven, in, in, in Abraham's bosom, that you never thought qualified there. Why? The altar of love is the most powerful force on earth. And because it is, let me warn you, the devil is coming for your love. Oh, yes, he is. That's the only way he can neutralize your work. He will come for your love, and maybe somebody will say something that just damages you. And then you make a conclusion, I'll never do that again. I love these people, and this is the way they treat me. You've just been destroyed. The altar, the gift that will make room for you has just been compromised by a broken altar. Don't fall for that trick. Are we okay? I've got 15 minutes, right, Pastor? One of the most powerful things, there's a time that, you know, I had a Friday night meeting in Tovani in Zimbabwe. It was just the youth and I. And this is after I had my breakthrough. And all we used to do, we would take instruments, we'd play some instruments. You know, we didn't even have guitars. We had African drums. And we'd have praise and worship. And the people that came there, they, man, they, they got preached at. And after that, we'd take an altar call and just pray for anybody that wanted prayer. So then what happened one Friday when we least expected it? Um, late into the night, kind of like almost toward the end, at 9.30, we started at 6.30, 7 o'clock. At around 9.30, I took an altar call. And when I took this altar call, something happened to the altar as I was praying a young lady violently manifested, like came under complete, uh, you know, demonic possession and take over. She's rolling on the floor and then another young man, it started to happen there as well. So I was in my early 20s at that time and, and I was just with kids. It was just the teenagers. So we prayed and prayed until they got their breakthrough. From that Friday, it began to happen every Friday. It wasn't two people now. It was 15, it was 20. Because I would have new people show up and the Lord began to move in deliverance in a powerful way. But it used to take me hours. Hours and hours, Pastor Finney. So here's what my Friday was like. I would fast until 4 o'clock in the afternoon on Friday. And then I had to have a meal before I went to that meeting. Because sometimes I didn't get home until 6, 7 in the next morning. Praying for people through the night. Some of them would take hours, 30 minutes, praying them into deliverance. They're in a complete trust. They're not communicating. And, 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 and so I, I remember I even began to feel like an old man. I'm like, Lord, you know. What's going on? For months and months and months and months it happened. And then, I, you know, 
the Lord asked me one morning as I was, as, as I was on my knees just praying, I felt the Lord say this. He says, why do you despise my people? I said, I don't despise them, Lord. He says, okay, when the manifestations are taking place and people are rolling on the floor, frothing in the mouth, some will throw up. Oh, crazy, crazy stuff. He says, you see, the enemy is trying to strip off their dignity. How come that doesn't bother you? So for the first time, I felt the Lord saying, don't do this because you hate the devil. Do this because you love my people. What? And don't do this because, because sometimes, you know, people would walk in and I can say, hi, they don't know that we walk in power here. Just wait until the altar. You know, a part of you is getting boosted by, you know, I can point at people and things can happen. And the Lord said, don't do that so that you can have the spectacular and you can think that you, do it because you love my people. He says, so he said, if you love them, what would you prefer? I said, I would prefer you set them free without any fanfare. We don't need the theatrics. Spare them that. Set them free. And the Lord says the key to that is if you love them, if that's the reason why you're doing deliverance, if that's the reason why you're doing the preaching, if you love them, watch. I go for the same meeting on Friday. Right? During praise and worship, activity began to take place because I, I saw some new faces. What the Lord will do is that a batch of people would come in that I've never seen before. They get set free and then they'll go back to their villages and towns. Some of them contacted me years later, breakthrough, school, college, things that they never thought that, that they could do. So I know God was doing a powerful work. But from that Friday on, what used to take hours, began, I will, we'll be done in 20 minutes. It was as if a knife so sharp was given that would just slice, 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 boom, free. And the rest of the time would spend worshiping the same people. Now, just loving God. In a, I'm like, Lord, this could have happened months ago. Yes, it could have. Why? You see, the motive be, behind what you were doing was this. You were doing this because, okay, it's ministry. You were doing this without even contemplating on the love of my people that are there. Do you know that it's possible to minister to people and not even love them? To do it because you want to earn some heavenly whatever. I'm bringing you to the foundation. The foundation of your leadership. I'll tell you this is a secret. Any, <laughs> any people you choose to love the way the Lord loves, love has a way of causing them to blossom. They will do better. They will be better. I don't know why. There's a mysterious force. Why? Because if you look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, can, can you turn that one, 1 Corinthians chapter 13? Let me read some of that while I'm here. It says part of love, what love does, it love believes all things, love hopes all things. Meaning love has a favorable opinion of the outcome of someone's life. Meaning when I look at you in love, true love, let's, let's see what it says. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. That means I'm just noisy. It says if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries, um, and I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. Meaning all of that is reduced to zero if love is absent. He says this. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. He says, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. He says, it always protects, it always trusts, 
It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. So now in this instant, the Apostle Paul is, is letting us into the secret he found. He walked in power but found that power is not enough. He walked in the miraculous but found out the miraculous is not enough. He says, now let me show you what he called a more excellent way. He was letting us know there is a higher way of living beyond just these incredible exploits in the things of God. He says there's a highway called love. And in that highway, it puts value on all the activity that you do for God. That's where the value is. That's where the true value of the currency of our ministry is. It's on the altar and the platform of love. And how do I know that I walk in love? Oh, no, I love you. No, some of us, no, 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 no. Saying that is easy. The easiest thing you've ever done is to say you love somebody. One of the hardest things you can ever do is to look at someone that may not be doing particularly well in that moment and have a hopeful outlook of their life. Believe that they can be better, they can be greater. Believe that they can eclipse anything that you have done. When in your eyes, with the natural eyes, it's easy to look down on them in a condescending way. My thing is this. The ultimate metric by which heaven judges everything we do is what altar the gift was laid on and what was the motivation of the heart. If love is absent, why? Because there's no patience. There's a, what, let's go back again. Let's look at what love is. Almost done. Seven minutes. I'm going to take every single one of them too. Let's go back again, all the way up a little bit. On the love is part. Okay. So I think from verse 4 or verse 3. Next verse. It says what? Love is patient. Okay. In other translations, it says it suffers long. Or long suffering is the old word they use for that. Why? Because it means that you put up with a person even in, in, in their mistakes for a long time. Your heart is extended to them in what is called long suffering or patience. You allow the Lord to work his process in the life of an individual. Believing and hoping. Standing by them. Trusting that the Lord can do something incredible. I grew up in Africa and I had two types of teachers. There was a type of teacher that would look at the class and say, you're all going to fail. And you know what? They were right. <laughs> now, they probably thought that they were using reverse psychology to motivate us to. No. I, and I thrived in that. You tell me I'm not going to do it, I, I'll probably try my best to do it. But there were some kids I knew that that crushed them. Because they said, you are wiser than me, so if you think I'm incapable, I probably am. That's why anybody that is older or in a position of authority, you've got to watch the content of your mouth. Because sometimes you will say something in anger and your child is going to believe that that's what they are. And you've just branded them in a, with a label that may take them the rest of their life to fight. So love is patient. The patience of love means what? That I'm, I, I cannot judge you based on your shortcoming today. You may not even measure up to what you need to do or be equal to your task for the next year, two years, three years. But I'm trusting because love compels me to. I'm trusting that in the story of your life, you're going to rise up to be something that only God. You know what I found? I found some individuals that did tremendous things and nobody thought they had it in them. I remember them growing up and everybody thought that they were useless. And God raised them to become something. I'm wondering, my goodness, man, I don't want to contribute in the putting down of anybody. I want to make sure that love is the reason we do anything. I cannot come into this church and sing about love and not walk in it. What a waste of time. So it says, love is patient. What? Love is kind, man. Just be kind. 
Just be kind. You know, some things you just do because the other person did not ask, they didn't require. You're just being kind. You're being kind. I told you yesterday about the heart of Abraham. It was the spirit of chesed or what you call the loving kindness. That is the family you came into. That is the family that we're a part of. It moves in loving kindness. Loving kindness and this just being kind. Jesus looking at, at, at the people that had been with him all day, listening to him speak. Now, he was the one working. They were sitting and doing nothing. Now, evening has come. And the disciples are losing patience and say, Lord, can we send them home? Because we're hungry. We need to go and get some food and get a little bit of a break. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, guys, they've been with us all day. Yeah. If we send them, they're hungry, man. What if they faint along the way? Okay, so what do you want us to do? Do something kind. Let's feed them. Or even if we had two years worth, 200 denarii was almost like two years worth of wage. Even if we had two years worth of wage, there's no way that we could have, you know, we could have fed them. He says, no, it's okay. He says, do we have anything in here? He says, oh, the little boy's lunch. You know it. He broke the bread and the fish. He prayed, and there was more than enough food. The reason why he did that is the people never asked him to. They never begged him to. They could have gone to their homes. Is that the spirit of the kingdom you and I are part of? Sometimes we just do things because it's the kind thing to do. That means that we consider others, even when they don't have the sense to know what to ask for, we are considering our thought of them, and we find out a way that we can be a blessing to them. That extra little bit of care that extra little bit of kindness, it goes long, a longer way than powerful preaching. It goes a longer way than, you know, turn or burn and Jesus this and Jesus that when we're not walking in love. You know, we are hurting the brand of Christ. We're hurting the heavenly brand if we find it easier to preach this than to live it. He says what? Love does not envy. That's an easy one. It does not boast. It's not proud. Easy one. Does not dishonor others. Tear them down. Some people's mistakes are very obvious to see. And it's not a mark of genius for you to point them out. Because everybody can sometimes see some things that are obvious. Jesus could see, this man has a reputation in this town as a crook. So it's easy for me to call him that. That's what everybody thinks he is. So what, the, what does the Lord do? I'm not going to dishonor you. I don't have to do that. Your actions may do that for you, but I'm not going to do that. I will show you the dignity that I will come and just spend time with you and the family and have a meal with you. Love. It does not dishonor. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. There's instances where some individuals are one strike you out. You do one thing, you'll be branded with that for the rest of your life. You see, what I think the sin of, the sin of, of Isaac was that he branded his son Jacob based on the first thing the baby did in his very first. When Esau was getting born, Jacob grabbed his heel in an attempt as if to pull him back. And his father said, you're a heel catcher. What does that mean? You, you're one who trips up others. You, you, meaning you supplant those that are going ahead of you. Guys, he was a baby. In fact, he was still in the womb. So he was still a fetus, really. And his father branded him. And Jacob struggled with that identity all his life. And the only time he got victory from that identity was when God himself wrestled with him and asked him, what's your name? He says, I'm Jacob. I'm the heel catcher. He says, no, you're not. You're not Jacob. You are Israel. You're a prince. But that's what my daddy called me. He branded you on the first thing you never did and put that label on you permanently. 
you are not the worst thing you've ever done. The Bible calls the devil the accuser of the brethren. Do you know what the term accuser means? It means the labeler or the brander. Meaning what the devil does, if you steal, he doesn't say you stole. He says you're a thief. Why? He wants the brand to remain into perpetuity. We operate in a different spirit. We operate in the spirit of love. Who, who did God call in the scripture that had an impressive past? Please tell me. Abraham, his people worshipped idols in the earth of Chaldees. The house of terror was, they were idol worshippers before God called him. Rahab, in the bloodline of Christ, Ruth was a Moabitess, an, an, an offspring of an incestual relationship between Lot and his daughters. Who has an impressive past? Not a single one of the people we respect. Saul of Tarsus, the greatest persecutor of the early church in his day. So what does the Lord do? The Lord shows you how love operates. Meaning what? No person is branded by the worst thing they've ever done. We don't keep a record of wrongs. If you do that, you, you, you are literally, you are doing something that is the mainstay of the other camp. That's what they do. So what does the Lord do? He goes to individuals that you and I think are disqualified. They can never serve. After this and after that end, he's the one. Come and follow me. Come and follow me. When the righteous ones that looked apart, he bypassed them. And then we, some of them, he called them names. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. You block the way of those that are coming in. And you go across the world to make one convert. And then you turn him into twice as much a son of hell as you are. Love is the most powerful force on earth. My invitation as I'm ending right now is this. 2023, we have to look at ourselves and say, Father, am I walking in love? Husbands and wives are going to be challenged in this area, by the way. The enemy is coming for the family. It's coming for the family, losing patience with one another. I can, you know, all of that is coming. You're going to face that. Oh, it's the spirit of the age. So what do you do? You must remind yourself that you operate from the principle of love. Parents and children, sometimes there's going to be some disappointment in there that might just, just hurt you so much so that you cut you know, your own children off. What kind of craziness is that? I've seen it happen. I had a girl in my youth group whose mom said some of the most vile things against a, a, child, against a human being I've ever heard was coming from the mouth of the mother. Of course she had been disappointed, but love, love, man, if love is not at the center of our worship, we are fakers. We are fakers that are pretending to be what we are not. The kingdom of God is known. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. Not because you have the purity of doctrine and you can tell me what eschatology is and you can break down the 70 weeks of Daniel. It means nothing. Love is going to be the thing. That's the calling card in the end. Shall we stand? Why are we talking along these along this lines? Because the thing, if you're going to ask me what I fear, Pastor Finney, I fear working all our lives for the Lord and standing before him and hearing the words, depart from me, I never knew you. Because we miss the most important thing. The spirit of religion says you're okay if you do A, B, C, D, and E. Heaven is a very simple metric by which they judge whether or not what we're doing is valuable. The gift that you're laying before the Lord, he observes the altar upon which it is laid. If it's not laid on the altar of love. But when love is, when, when love is the motive, 
even simple things, very, very simple things, appear to be so profound to God. He's amazed at people that do simple little things coming from the place of love. When the Lord armed his disciples with this secret in their lifetimes, they turned their world upside down. Father, in the name of Jesus, if you can just lift up your hands before the Lord, I want to pray for you. Father, this morning, I just pray, this afternoon, that Father, you may Father, you may stoke up the fire of our love and renew our love. Father, we're coming back to our first love. Loving God and loving people is really simple. But Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit can work in us so that we can learn to love as Christ loved. He is the ultimate standard. He is the ultimate articulation or explanation of what love is. It's Jesus. So Father, I want anybody that we intersect, our family, our friends, members of our church, is we want to intersect them as Christ would, Father. Father, I'm calling us to walk in love as a church, as a body, as a people, as families, loving one another in a way that most reveals the brand of Christ. And because we've prayed by faith, we believe it is done. Yes, you're in an God bless you. Thank you.